1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Ephesians 5, 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. It's good to be here with you. Let's just pray for God to be with us. Dear God, we are um, gathered here to hear you speak to us. I pray that you will speak to us the words that we need to hear and that you would remind us in an undeniable way that you love us and that you care for us and that you are with us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, um, just make sure, okay. Uh, I'm gonna give you two introductions and three points and that'll be the message. So that's kind of a, a loaded message. So I'm just, this sermon is really um, something that I would love maybe Lord willing to do a series on, but I just wanna hit some key thematic ideas and something that you can uh, explore more on your own. Uh, so this is something that's been on my mind. Uh, as you know, rarely do, does the word of God come to us in a vacuum. It comes to us in context. We're not disembodied beings living in some vacuum, right? We live in a certain time and place geographically We live in a certain period. We are surrounded by certain cultures. We are embodied people. We are placed in a specific place. So the word that comes to us needs to take into mind the context we're in. And so what I want to share with you is a word uh, for us that I believe is something that we need to hear in this context. Now, this context is different from other contexts. If you lived in the Reformation era, and I was when we're doing the Apostles' Creed, I always, I always notice that, you know, in most evangelical churches, they always put an asterisk next to the word Catholic Church, and they remind everyone that when we say we believe in the Catholic Church, they have to kind of almost footnote and say, hey, by the way, when we say Catholic Church, we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, we're talking about the way the Catholic word is used to mean universal church, right? Um, why? Because we have this fear that people might think that we're talking about something else. And so context matters. If we live in the Reformation era, the kinds of issues and challenges that we would need to hear may be different than what we need to hear today. If we were living in a developing country where our needs were different, we, you know, the word of God that comes to us might be a little different. Today, I want to share with you something that's been on my mind, something that I've been really thinking about for quite a while and just want to share with you so that it's also on your mind and that you can kind of meditate on it. My first introduction is really a preface to any message in general, but I'm always, I'm always um, reminded of the importance of remembering balance. You know, the, the, God teaches us in the Old Testament and the New Testament not to veer to the left or to the right, but to be faithful to the Word of God, right? And... The way I see that faithfulness to the word of God being balanced, and balance is not the most important thing, but I'm talking about just kind of not veering to the left or right, but being in center, a, 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 a kind of an illustration or an image that comes to mind when I think of that is 
walking on a tightrope. So, you know, this is a tightrope. And anyone ever, anyone ever, I don't need to squeal, uh, anyone ever walk on a tightrope? One? Okay, anyone else? Maybe? Okay. Well, if you walk on a tightrope, you know, you see those people with those big sticks or whatever you call it, balance beams, and they kind of hold it, and it helps you balance, right? And can you walk, and it kind of helps you balance. Now, imagine if that on that big beam that you're carrying to help you balance, there's a, like a 20-pound weight at one end of it, and you have to walk. How, how is that going to feel? Very off-kilter, right? You're going to feel like, you, you know, you need to counterweight almost to just to stay balanced. That's the picture I have. In our society and our culture, there are weights and currents that push us towards one way. For example, in our Western culture, there is a current, an undeniable current that pushes us towards individualism. Absolutely. And there's also another current that pushes us towards commercialism and consumerism. And so when we say that we need to be balanced and we need to be mindful, we have to be aware that there are currents, there are weights being placed in our lives as we're trying to balance and walk faithfully the way that God wants us to walk, that there are these, there's these currents that are pushing us one way, there's these weights that are pushing us one direction. So sometimes there's gonna be messages that are given to counter set those weights and currents, right? But when you start pushing this way to offset this, sometimes it can sound unbalanced. I say all this because what I wanna say to you today may feel a little bit heavy towards one theme or idea, right? So, you know, the Bible is always a both and proposition more often than not. It's always both and. God is working in our life, yet we are also doing our best to be sanctified. It's always a kind of a balance of both and. And sometimes when you emphasize one, it feels off kilter. And so I just want to tell you what I'm, what I'm going to share with you today may sound like this overemphasizing one, uh, overemphasizing certain principles or truths, but it's really just because I want us to be aware that there are certain currents pushing us this way. So I want us to kind of counterset those um, forces and just emphasize certain truths more emphatically today, okay? So that's kind of a preface. So everything I say there can be absolutely an a, a equally valid truth on the other end that balances this. So here with an open mind in that way. Does that make sense? This is really just kind of a way to say, you know, don't get so caught up if it sounds overloaded on one side, okay? So with that said, um, what, I noticed, what I noticed in a lot of um, conservative, traditional, evangelical churches is that there isn't, there's kind of a lost sense of intentionality and, uh, and thinking about discipleship, right? So there's this kind of, um, like you all come to church regularly, you all love God, you want to love your neighbor, and you want to be more like Christ. How many of you here want to be more like Christ every day? We want to be more like Christ, okay? So the technical word for that is called sanctification, right? We want to be sanctified. We want to be more like Christ every day. And there's this kind of a vibe in the evangelical churches. Well, let me, I don't even want to make it that broad. Just kind of in the churches that I grew up where there's this um, 
kind of an almost unspoken belief that you just go on kind of living your life and somehow you're just going to become more Christ-like. It's like, you know, I'm just going to just go about living my daily life and by the time I'm 60, I'm just going to be a healthy person. As if that's going to happen. There is, I noticed a dearth of intentionality in our lives and our Christian faith and the way we do things in church. There's a lack of focus. There's a lack of intentionality. It's as if we're just driving our car going, yeah, we'll get to wherever we're going someday. Or it's a nice Sunday, you know, it's a nice Sunday drive. We're just driving. Rather than saying there's a place I want to be and there's a route I need to be on and that's how I'm going to get there, right? If you want to be Christ-like, if you want to be sanctified, there has to be some intentionality. There has to be some elements of discipleship. Discipleship is what God has given us to pattern us, to pattern our lives after so that we become more Christ-like, so that it's not just ambiguous. It's not just kind of leave it to chance and let's see where we are five years from now. With that intentionality, you may not see much growth. You may be struggling with the same issues. How many of you, let me just do a little survey here. Uh, well, I don't, actually, I don't need to. I'm in my 50s. I'm well into my 50s. Now, 50s is old to me. I, I just, yeah, it's just a little depressing. I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> 40s, 30s, and 20s. Um, you know, I don't even know why. I just distracted myself with that random, oh my God, just realizing how old I am. Just kind of, let me, let me gather myself. Uh, what I mean is that there is certain, um, it is easier to shape things when you're younger than it is when you're older. When you're set in your ways, it is hard to change. Well, I really lost my last focus there, so... I don't even know. I, let me, I just simply say is that rather in your 20s or 30s, okay, you're not going to get to where you want to be as a Christian. Uh, I, I remember now. I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. Okay. So I'm in my 50s, which is quite, quite more. I don't, I don't move on. I've lived probably, some of you, twice as long as you have lived, okay? Here's a reality. I still struggle with stuff that I struggled when I was young. Can I get an amen, or is it just me? Am I the outlier, or am I the norm? Be honest. I've been married 30 years. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. 30 years. Although I am, I'm doing a memorial service for a couple who was just a week, the wife passed away a week shy of 64 years. I'm like, wow, 64. I mean, I'm not even halfway to that. We, Esther and I still struggle with some of the things we struggled when we were young, early in our marriage. If you find yourself in a set pattern where you're still struggling with issues in your Christian faith that you did five years ago, six years ago, ten years ago, 
be comforted. It's a human thing. You know, Israelites kept falling and leaving God and coming back and leaving God and coming back and leaving God and coming back. It's, it's our human nature. We are, there's a wonderful hymn that says, we are, our hearts are prone to wander. That's our human nature. But also it's part of the result of lack of intentionality in growing in certain areas. Because we just think that we're somehow going to grow out of our bad habits or we're going to grow out of our immaturity by just continuing to live. What I want to encourage you in your next season as a church is to really build in some intentionality in discipleship. Saying we want to go to the next level of sanctification. We may, we may fall back here and there, but we want a sense of progress and sense of focus, not just kind of be ambiguous about what we are doing. I really, really want you to, I, I just, I felt like that was so missing. There was a season in my life where I had a mentor and a, um, uh, it was my college pastor, and that probably was a season that I really grew a lot. And throughout my life, I've been in relationships where people have mentored me, but you know, that's something that I often rue about my Christian life is that I haven't had a more intentional, purposeful kind of a discipleship relationship. And it's one that I want to encourage you in your younger age to invest in. All right, and there are three reasons why. I'm going to give you three reasons why I think this is really important. First, uh, I want to look at our text. It says, be imitators of me as I'm of Christ, or follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And then in Ephesians 5.1, it says, follow God's example as dearly loved children, or in another translation, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. The word there, imitators, or follow example, is the Greek word from, from which we get the word mimic is mimite and there's cognate verbs and so forth, but it's, it's where we get the word mimic or imitate from. And so this idea here is imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then Ephesians 5, 5 one says, be imitators of God as beloved children, right? So the question is, is, is you know, wouldn't it be just easy to say, follow God and imitate God? I mean, Ephesians 5.1 kind of says it all. Mimic or imitate God. But then Paul adds the extra layer and says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So it's a both and. There is a, there's a mandate and a call to imitate God, and then there's a way to do it by imitating others as they imitate God. And it's a wonderful reminder of the importance of who we are as human beings that imitation or mimicking is one of the ways in which God created us to learn and be transformed. The foundation of imitating, when we read these two verses, there are a couple of things that jump to my mind. And one of the things I really want to emphasize is when, when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ or imitate God, 
there's this idea that there is a pattern. There is something to imitate outside of us. Meaning that we are not the ones who designs what we should be. There is a pattern outside of our own imaginations, outside of our own creativity or outside of our own preferences and knowledge. There is something objectively outside of us that we are called to imitate. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Meaning we are not the ones who determines our own destiny of what a good life and what kind of a Christian we ought to be. We are not the arbiter of that. There is a pattern that God wants us to follow. Let me give you this example. Um, I, I, I was thinking of this. If I give, uh, here, I'm going to give, um, let's say I give both of you a piece of clay, okay? And then I say to you, I say, um, make something beautiful, okay? And then to you, I give you a picture or a shape of an image and say, make your clay look like this as best as you can, okay? What is the difference One person is going to create the clay using their own ideas of what is beautiful, right? So it could be a flower, it could be a sunset, it could be a pizza. This person is going to then what create something shaped after a pattern. And that's what the word, Greek word, mimete, is, is used to describe sculpturing, right? When you, when you, when you sculpt something, you, you have an object that you're sculpting after. This person is going to shape their clay after a certain object. Most of us think kind of the Christian life is like this. We just kind of, we try to be the best that we can. We try to be a good person and we kind of come up with our own ideas of what being a good Christian is or being a good person is and we just do our best to live that life. And it looks randomly and this, we have this idea of you do you, I do me, we're all good. But that's not what the Bible often teaches. The Bible teaches us there is a pattern outside of us to which we are called to follow. We are not always the arbiter of what is good and right. Remember, that is the origin, origin of our human um, fall, is this desire to determine good and evil, to know good and evil, and to be God. We were the... The idea of original sin, Adam and Eve, the story of Adam and Eve, and you guys know how Eve eats the fruit. God says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you will surely die. Eve looks at the fruit, the serpent tempts Eve and says, you're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. And the whole point of original sin, the way that's traditionally taught, is that in Adam and Eve, our first human parents, or the paragon of human parents, that, that's the sin that they committed carries on to us, kind of like is imputed to us through, through heritage, lineage. We, we adopted this human nature. Perhaps, and I think there's some validity to that. But I, I like to think of original sin as more like if we were in Adam and Eve's shoes, we would do the same thing. We would choose to determine our own destiny. The, 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 the original sin that lingers in our own nature is that given our preferences, we will like to make decisions about our life ourselves. We want to be the captain of our own ship. We are so fixated on this idea that what I want, when I want, getting what I want, when I want, is the key to happiness in life. 
And what I want and is something that I choose what's good for me. There is this little thought given to perhaps an external moral code or external way of being, a pattern that we ought to follow. And that's what Paul says. There is a pattern. It's Christ. It is God. He is the one who is good. Follow the ways of God. Now, of course, that's going to come filter to us in context. But it's, I really want to push against this idea that you ultimately decide what being a good person is. That you ultimately decide what is good for your life. This notion of, I am the captain of my own life. When Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ or imitate God, it means follow a pattern that is outside of you. God is the original. He is the initiator. He's the one who started us on this journey. He created us. Amen? It's something that we have to remind ourselves constantly because you know what makes me unhappy is when I, when I don't have what I want to have. Do you know, you know the misery of life? All, a lot of religions like Buddhism, all of these things. It talks about, you know, is, is even the, the letter to James. We fight and quarrel because we don't have what we want. We're miserable because maybe you want a better job, you want a better car, you want a house that doesn't leak, you want this and that, and we don't have, and so we're unhappy. And all of that is because we are driven to think that we know what is best for us and that we are the captain of our lives. So, you know, um, in Genesis, you have, the, you have this desire to continually leave God and choose for ourselves what is good and evil. And then in Exodus, you know, when the people of Israelites are being delivered by God, you know, it's not even just worshiping God. A lot of times when we worship, we worship God in our own image. So instead of saying, God, you are God, and we worship you, we say, God, you are this, and I worship you. This image of God, which I created in my head of you, is what I worship. And so the whole story of the golden calf in the desert is really about, not only do we need to worship God, but we need to worship God in the way that he wants us to worship him. Because left to ourselves, we're ever going to begin to worship God the way that we want to worship God. And that's idolatry in its own way. Right? This is kind of related kind of now, but it's just it's interesting. You ever, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I just got to say this, it's crazy how, you know, the social media and the internet and, and this sort of um, opening of this creative pool allows people of everywhere to make fun, like creative videos. It's amazing all the creative stuff that's out there. I find it interesting. And, you know, there's this one little clip of, of this couple praying and, and then the person prays like, God, you know, thank you for blah, blah, blah. And then just prays this list of litany of things that they don't like about this other person. You ever hear those prayers? Please help so-and-so, be nicer, help them to appreciate me more, you know, kind of. And then this person, like, goes, oh, well, let me also pray for you. And then they, they pray, and they're, like, just basically hosting a list of litany of things that they want 
that person to change, help them to realize how good they have it, help them to realize how selfish they are, you know? And it's just an endless battle. And we just use God to basically vent and, you know, wanting to change someone into our own image. When Paul says, imitate Christ, he is saying there is a pattern that is outside of us that we need to turn our eyes to. Okay? So the second reason that uh, intentionality, discipleship, imitation is important is that we are not an island. Oftentimes, there's this, there's this philosophy that what I do with my life, what does it matter to you? If I don't hurt anyone and I'm happy, who are you to tell me otherwise? Amen? No, no amen. That's bad. Because what we do does influence others. Now, what, what is interesting about the life of Christ and Paul, if you read Paul especially, he's kind of a... Um, he writes quite often in a lot of his letters he talks about imitating me like follow my example to the Thessalonian church to Timothy he says follow my pattern of life and he's not saying he is a perfect pattern he says follow my pattern as I follow the pattern of God but he says imitate me because because the way I'm trying to live my life I am aware that I'm not only living for myself but I'm also living for others You are not living just for yourself. You are also living for others. You are part of a community, whether you want to recognize it or not. What you do affects other people. You know, one of the things that's common is the word imitating is often used for parent-child, student-teacher relationships. And there's a saying, more is caught than taught. You know, I, I learned it didn't matter what I told my kids how to drive. I'd be like, remember, drive carefully, drive safe. What they see is what? It's how you drive. If you're driving 75 and 80 all the time, even if you're not in a hurry, it doesn't really matter what you're going to say to your kids, right? Because they're going to see what you do, and they actually are going to do it. You know, there are tons of videos out there now on social media of little kids just imitating adults because more is caught than taught. We we just absorb. Paul lived with this notion that his life was being watched, that how he lived mattered. Integrity mattered, right? Like, you might think it doesn't matter you know, if I come late, if I dress this way, I'm, I'm, and, and you can go to the other extreme where you're so consumed about other things that you're just, you can't live in freedom. So there's got to be balance. But there's this notion in today's society that it's just basically, if I'm okay with it and it doesn't hurt anyone, what's it to you? Well, what's it to me is that we're part of a fabric connected together. Do you know that you influence others in this group? You influence others in your circle of social networks. What you say does matter. How you live does matter. We have to live with this notion that not, we're not always just performing for others, but we have to live with this notion that how I live doesn't just influence me, but impacts other people. And we have to live with that weight a little bit because it countersets this notion, that individualistic notion that I'm all about me and, only, and as long as it doesn't affect any affect me in a negative way, I'm okay with it. No, 
we have to have a little bit more awareness that who we are and how we are and how we live does matter. It affects other people. Paul did that. Jesus lived this life as an example to follow. So live your life as an example. Live with this notion to be a light for other people. And the last thing that I want to, the third and last point is, is that imitation is, is reflective of the way that we are created and that we are embodied people. And I just want to leave this thought. There's this notion, the, the prevailing um, dominant pedagogical transformative sort of ideology that we've adopted in our churches is this idea that our minds are the gateway to transformation. Knowledge and insight is the gateway to transformation. It's as if our minds are receptacles that we put information in and then this mind then changes the way we live. That's sort of been the prevailing dominant way in the Enlightenment era of how we think about transformation. So what do we do? All sermons and even me right now, what I'm trying to do is give you these insights, right? And then, and then you're like, boom, wow, that's profound. Not really. Because if that insight doesn't lead to a changed life, it means nothing, right? So we have this idea that this transformation or how we change is linear. We go from these deep insights. If you've ever been in therapy, have, I, you know, I love my therapy session. And I was like, there more, I did psychoanalytic therapy, which is like, like subconscious level stuff, right? We did a lot of dream interpretation and trying to really get into some deep, deep stuff. Like, what was that dream all about, you know? And I loved it, right? And there are these moments, like, you know, especially with parent relations, like, oh, you don't know how much your parent has messed you up, right? Like, I, I, I'm like, wow, my relationship with my mom, boy, that's deep, right? It's insights. But those insights are just like insights, and they're just, we think that having the insight itself is transformation. It's not. Have you had, you don't, poof, insight, wow, drinking and driving is bad. drink and drive all the time. There's some of you in here that drink and drive. Ah, just a beer. I'm not drunk. We do it. Insights means nothing. Transform lives. The ability to live out life. So here's the thing. Think of it this way. When we say imitate God, why is imitating important? Because it's not just a linear effect of going head to life. It's a circular effect. Think of more transformation as circular your life experiences shapes what you think and understand, and what you think and understand shapes the way you live. It's a circular. Both influence each other in a circular way. It's not linear. It doesn't go mind and life. You experience things. You live things. You imitate. You, you, we're embodied people. That's how we learn and change. We learn and change by imitating and mimicking, by watching someone do something and doing it. We have a dearth of Christian discipleship in which we have faithful followers of Christ who we can imitate. Who are you imitating? Who, who are the people in your life that you imitate? We need to have some people. You need to influence others and be influenced by others. That's the way discipleship was meant to be. So here's my question to you, closing this. 
is are you in these kinds of intentional discipleship-focused relationships? Because rather or not, uh, when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, is this reality that we are going to imitate something in our life. The word immutable is not used around much these days. Um, you, you know, I, I have, it's immutable, right? We don't use that word. Uh, it's an SAT word kind of a thing. Immutable means not, being, not changing, unchangeable. God is unchangeable. He's immutable. We are not. We change. We are influenced. You know, your hairstyle is influenced by our society, your clothing, how we think, what we think is good, what we think is bad. We're shaped constantly by external forces. There are people, man, there are algorithms and stuff that can dictate, predict what you will like and what you will do better than we can, right? I mean, we, we're like lemmings when we go to Netflix. It's like click, click, click what they tell us to watch. Yes? Because the algorithm goes, oh, I know what they'll like. Put this, and we're like, oh, we like it. We, we are constantly being influenced by outside forces. You just have to know that. That's why liturgy is important. We, we need counterbalance to influences. So the question is, is, it's not are we imitating, it's who are we imitating? And are you in those relationships? Do you have a role model? Do you have someone that you can look to and say, this person I imitate. There, there are a few people, there are certain people that I, I, you know, biographies, biblical characters, but real life people that we need to have in our life that can show us and pattern for us. Be in those intentional relationships because you're going to follow somebody. You're going to follow some pattern. Maybe be the right one. And let's be intentional. Let's pray. God, I pray that what I say will just not stay in the mind, but will somehow cause us to realize that we are um, created in such a way where we need role models and we need to be in relationships where we can positively influence one another towards a pattern that you set for us in Christ. So help THMCEM live into that by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.